Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and partner at Brody Thorning LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. Today, we're talking about a really important topic um, for those of you going through separation and divorce, and that is how to help your children cope with divorce. Uh, For most parents who are going through this challenging time, this is the question that I get asked the most, even as a lawyer, and it's certainly at the, the foremost at most people's minds. So I'm really excited that we're covering this important topic today, and I'm joined by someone who um, I've considered to be a friend. I've grown to know her um, over the last, I don't know, year or two years even. Um, and uh, her name is Dr. Renee Mudry. And Renee is a sought-after educational psychologist, author, curriculum developer, and international master teacher and mentor. She inspires and motivates as she lights up the room with her authentic connection, heart-centered teaching approach, and love for her craft. Renee combines her lived experiences with her expertise as a researcher and master teacher. She delivers compelling yet relatable presentations that have been met with rave reviews worldwide and can be adapted to suit any venue and audience. Renee presents cutting-edge strategies, aiding listeners and accessing the largely untapped potential for bringing out our mental and emotional energies into greater balance. Her presentations include the latest in neuropsychology, brain science psychology, teaching and learning, and much more. Educators will learn how to improve well-being performance and relationship satisfaction for teachers and students alike. Um, And one of the things I love most about uh, Dr. Renee is just her heart-centered approach uh, to psychology and to helping people, um, you know, cope with various challenges in their lives. So thank you, uh, Dr. Renee, for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me and congratulations on the launching of your podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. Uh, We're going through some interesting times right now. So um, hopefully the information that I'm providing will, you know, help ease some of the stress that people are experiencing out there. Absolutely. Uh, now you, like myself, um, not only, you know, have some expertise in, um, you know, the topic we're talking about through your training and uh, experience, but you also have personal experience as someone who has children and who has been through divorce. Yes. Yes, I have. I know it's one of those things that you wish you'd never have on your your Vita, but unfortunately, yes, <laughs> we've had to go through the process, we're sure. Yeah. So, you know, firsthand as well, how, you know, people feel and, and it, it, you know, it makes it much more relatable um, as you draw upon your expertise to a- advise people as well. Um, so just to start off, generally speaking, what would be the three most important things you think parents can do to help their children cope with divorce? It's a really great question. And I would say, of course, it'll vary greatly on the age of your children. But thinking about just general 
perspective and things that are useful for children of all ages who are verbal and able to communicate. But even, you know, we know that infants and babies are very sentient and can feel what's going on as well. So these three will be, you know, very good for, for all ages. And the first one is really all about honesty, being honest with yourself, being honest with the process and being honest with the children. You don't have to tell them every nitty gritty little detail, particularly the negative things. And you don't have to share every conversation that you're having with your soon to be ex. But I feel that children tend to feel very disempowered in the process. They feel like they don't get a voice at times when they're under a certain age. And, you know, sometimes we feel that we want to protect them when in actuality we're sheltering them which is not helping to prepare them for the process. And so the more honest we can be in the things that we can talk about and we can communicate, I find that children tend to become very robust in the process and will be much more resilient. Even if it's something that they're not going to like, you know, I, I remember, you know, back when my son said, well, can I just be with you all the time? And as much as I would have loved that, I had to be honest with, one, that probably wasn't going to happen legally, and two, nor was it in his, his best interest either. And so I did have to be, you know, have that honest conversation with him. The second thing is realizing that children, no matter how resilient they look, are still experiencing some emotional reaction within. And many kids can't communicate that if they are younger, or some of our kids are very introverted and tend not to be very comfortable verbally expressing things. So we have to look out for the signs of emotions in other ways. And kids can act out in a variety of ways. Um, some of them can go deep within and isolate and go away. Others can act out, you know, and, and be much more aggressive or assertive in many ways. And so watching for any sign, even a child who maybe isn't bathing as much as they used to because they're not feeling um, happy and, and, you know, you can tell they're not taking care of themselves or they're being overly excessive in certain things, maybe becoming a little bit compulsive in some ways. These are all telltale signs that there's emotional duress. And so every parent has the right, they know their children the best to decide whether or not you know, counseling services, or even just a third party, you know, a teacher or a friend or a family member can really get involved and maybe become the sounding board. I find when, and I'm sure Leanne, you probably have this as well, when you're the parent and you're trying to be the one who's coaching them through it, sometimes they might even just reject you because they don't know how to, ha to handle the separation between their parents. And they exactly. feel like they're taking sides, right? And so you don't want to put them in that position. And so if you have that third party, um, somebody who you know, it was it was certainly my brother, you know, uncle is the, the favorite of the kids, the godfather of the kids, he became the great source for them. So that's really a good thing. And then the third thing, you know, that I think is really valuable for all families is to make sure that you're you're staying involved and doing things with your children because one of the things we find when we're stressed is we tend to go into anxiety and depression and other emotional reactions and we're forgetting to stay present and active with our children every single day. And so my thing became when they came home from school, it was a no compromise time zone. I never scheduled anything from three o'clock 
to four o'clock, no matter how much anybody wanted me, I had to make that commitment to myself that I needed to check in with them, you know, really see how their day was, talk about things, look for those signs of stress and those kinds of things, but staying present with them and making sure you're doing fun activities and things like that will help you look for these other things as well, as well as just decompress for everybody. You know, I think everybody's going through a stressful moment who wouldn't benefit from having some really fun time together with the kids. Oh, exactly. Um, now, in your first point, you, you discussed, you mentioned the importance of being honest with your children. Um, yeah. But you also indicated, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to know every nitty gritty detail. And so what, um, what would you advise people on that? I mean, I, uh, you know, see clients of mine and, you know, in the legal realm and, you know, they're telling their children, you know, mommy or daddy had an affair or mommy or daddy doesn't want the family to be together anymore. Or mommy, you know, mommy's wants to move out and, you know, this sort of thing, which, you know, I, as a lawyer, I don't think that's appropriate to be telling children, but, you know, from, with your background, um, you know, what would you advise people on being honest, but, you know, they don't, certain things, children don't need to necessarily know the, the adult issues. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this varies greatly on the age of the children. You know, I mean, if you're divorcing and your children are in their 30s, you know, 20s or 30s, (laughs) it's going to be a whole different conversation, right? And they'll be able to understand things far differently. But, But children are ever evolving. And the one thing that is the latest to grow for children is that frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe doesn't start to spurt for many kids. Earliest we see is nine, um, and with the peak being between 13 and 21. So many of our kids, particularly our boys, who, who tend to have later frontal lobe development than girls, not always, but on average, you know, that's their emotional center. That's their language communicator. That's their feeler, right, of their brain. And this is a part that's going to help you understand that even when I'm acting out, you know, I'm sure I said things I probably shouldn't have shared or um, wish I had said about the process, but I was under stress and duress as well. But you know, it will happen. It's hard to be perfect in a stressful situation. But I realized that my oldest especially would feel as though she was in a place of the middle. And, you know, again, that's when they get lost in all of that. So the more that we share with them about the very specific things about what happened and why the relationship broke up and who's saying what or trying to get the other parent to tell the child something to come back home with is really uh, at a disadvantage for a child whose brain isn't even emotionally capable of processing what's being asked of me. You know, why am I hearing this? And it really will do more damage down the line for them. They become insecure about their attachments. They become insecure about their future relationships and friendships. They can even become very scared. So I would say at maximum, really try to avoid the nitty gritty and use your third party support network more for those types of conversations. My best friend was that source where I could just let it out and be angry and talk about things. And I'm sure his were as well. So that's important. But what I was talking about with the honesty is, you know, right now, as much as you might want to be with me today, today's daddy's day. And it's important for daddy to have time with you too. And you're, you know, you might just be feeling afraid 
of leaving here today because you think you might not come home, but I, I assure you, you will come back home to me in a couple of days. You know, those kinds of things are the honest things that I, I can't keep you as much as you love me too. I can't. And it's, it's not good for daddy. Daddy wants to be with you too. And daddy would be very sad if he didn't get to have you. You know, even if you hate your ex, it's really important to still be able to be honest with them about that they have to go and, you know, those kinds of things. Kids will be miraculous in trying to convince you that they're under duress in that circumstance. And maybe they are, but most of the times they're not. And because we have such a negative relationship with that person, we assume the worst, but kids can sometimes fib and and lie about things, you know, but sometimes they can be honest too. So you have to be very careful in discerning that. So there's a yeah, lot. And that's probably yeah. a really hard thing because I know I have several clients right now who are in situations um, where there's parental alienation going on. Either they are being accused of it or they're, you know, on the other end where they are being alienated uh, from their child. And when you're dealing with kids who are, you know, tweens or teens um, in the legal realm, especially teens, they, they do have a voice. Um, if they don't want to go to the other parent, um, the court explores why, but, but they do have a voice. And so if for someone, you know, like some of my clients who are in this situation where, you know, the, one of their children or both of their children, um, you know, don't want to see them. Um, and are refusing to go on access visits, and you have the other, and the parent who they are with is not really properly um, promoting that they should go. I mean, they're they're saying they are, but they're not saying the right things. What? Do, how do you recommend someone deal with that type of situation? Do you do you force it? Do you get the child into counseling, but they refuse counseling? It, it, it's it's very difficult. So, what what would you recommend someone do in that situation? Yeah, that one is very complicated, and obviously, there's so many variables in there, and we all live in slightly different legal situations, which might demand or require something different. But from just from a social and emotional perspective, I really want to express to parents: this is the time to really do what's right and recognize what is mine versus what am I trying to place onto my children? Because the emotional burden is really huge. And I think that, yes, I'm all for children being in therapy, but I think that all married couples, this is my own personal opinion, should be in some type of therapy. Therapy is not meant to be reactive. It's not meant to be, you know, used like um, antibiotics. It's meant to be something that we all go to, like a massage, like a hairdresser, um, like, you know, shopping. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be there for relaxation and well-being and not something that you have to resort to in the end. But of course, the, you know, the negative stigma in the world has many people who avoid it. And if, if children were in the process most of their lives, they'd get to a place of being able to know how to handle most of this stuff without us. But, you know, we tend to have that stigma. So I would say, you know, it's, it's really important that all people going through a divorce have some type of psychological service available to them. And it doesn't have to be a therapist, you know, it can be a coach, it could be, but please make sure they're trained in 
and yes. psychological well-being. That's becoming a dangerous situation. It's which very I think dangerous. We could do a whole new <laughs> podcast, right? So we'll save yes. that for another day. Especially but, on social media. There's oh. just so many of them out there who have no training and uh, are talking on you know, serious topics and can do a lot exactly. of harm. Exactly. Don't get me started on that. I know. We'll do, it. We'll do another podcast. So yeah. I'll have you back in mind for that one. But the other thing is, you know, when, when, the, when the two parental units can go to therapy on their own, not only is that helping you, but it's helping your children. It could be a minister. It could be a rabbi. It could be a really well-trained social worker. Um, you know, there's so many types of sources out there today that we could use. And when we do our work, socially and emotionally, we end up diffusing a lot of that stuff that we end up asking the questions of how do we handle this now? Because if I'm, if I'm getting support emotionally and socially through this process, I'm going to have less propensity to want to act out, you know? And if I do act out, I know who my, I called them my fab fives, my tribe, you know, that I always had as my support. I'd know who to go to and less of that would be inflicted towards the children. So I think like you, like you said, counseling and emotional support would be my, my biggest recommendation. But if that parent's refusing to allow you to see your children because they're believing something, or maybe they're even, you know, piercing it into their ear, then, you know, definitely amp up the legal expectation on that. And you can demand a psychological consult. You can um, demand those kinds of things, but of course those cost money. So, you know, I always say the more we can do on the psychological point, the less economical this thing ends up becoming for people. Exactly. Now, if you're in that kind of situation where, you know, you're somebody who's really, um, you know, self-aware and, you know, into personal growth and you're doing, you're getting all the supports you possibly can to, you know, help yourself be better through and heal through the process and help your children. But your ex-spouse is, you know, kind of the opposite and is doing none of that. Um, is that going to, you know, wash out all the benefits of what you're doing? So should somebody say, you know what, they're, they refuse to do it. My, my ex-husband refuses to do it. So I'm not going to do it at all. It's a complete waste of time. Or is there benefit for them doing it, even though they know the other parent is, you know, not doing it? Oh, there's absolute benefit for just one party doing the work because the children are with you whatever percentage of time. Everyone's plan gets different, right? I mean, I'm on a 50-50. So, you know, the 50% of the time that my kids are with me, you know, they're being exposed to me and to my emotional reactions and experiences and growth. And so any bit, even as little as it is, is always going to be advantageous to children. The, the better habits that you acquire, the, you know, when they see mommy, you know, meditating or, you know, saying, I'm off to therapy right now, I'll be right back. You know, I have a really good friend who's a therapist who's really supporting, you know, the reduction of stigma um, in the world and, you know, really saying, let's use these words with children when they're younger so that they're not so stigmatized and they think there's something bad. It's just like mommy going for a massage. Mommy's going to therapy. Okay. You know, good. And yeah. I know mommy will be happy and relaxed when she gets home. And, you know, my kids even jokingly, you know, now that they're tweens make fun of me um, with my sage running around the house and clearing negative energy. <laughs> and, but it's cute because, even though the ex might think I'm weird in that relation, <laughs> they know it's a source of, you know, growth and development. So I yeah. think any little bit that you can do, even just relaxing with the kids and doing something special, you don't have to spend money. 
to make these kids feel better and get through this process. You just need to give them your time and let them see you healing. And that's going to really help them. Yeah. Um, Now, all children going through separation and divorce, I think are going to have some amount of, you know, anxiety or sadness and, and, you know, things like that, that would be a natural response. How as a parent, you know, when your child um, symptoms or signs is beyond what might be kind of in the, I hate to use the word normal, but the quote unquote normal range of, you know, what would be an expected or regular behavior and what might be concerning and require uh, a more serious intervention. Yeah, and I think this kind of goes back to what I was just mentioning about counseling. If if we know that there's a high probability of the children having any sort of emotional reaction, uncertainty, feelings of, you know, worry or concern, you know, you can start them in therapy right away, you know, even just once a week. Because when they're younger, it's typically play therapy, which is actually really fun. And if you're stressed out and you're involved or you're maybe having to take on a second job because your finances are changing, what a benefit for a child to have some extra playtime in the day with somebody who knows what they're looking for. And so that's really helpful to be able to really kind of measure when those things might shift over time. And so you can kind of deescalate those arising. But, but if you're choosing not to go that route, you know, again, you know your child best. And so trust your intuition. If something feels off, it usually is off. And, you know, you can say to yourself, oh, you know, for me, I noticed my daughter just wasn't showering like she used to. And she didn't want to shower. And she was really trying to express in a way, I want to take control of my body. So please don't ask me to do something right now. And as much as we didn't enjoy the non-showering days, um, (laughs) you know, and I worried about what her friends smell, you know, what would happen. No, it was just her needing to go through a sense of gaining control over something that she felt she didn't have control over. And so I just allowed it. I wasn't going to go crazy and force her into the tub. And I would talk to her about the importance of hygiene. And, but more importantly, I needed to talk to her about how she felt you know, why, what's going on? What can I help with? You know, have I said something? Have I done something that's made you feel unsafe or worrisome? You know, let me know, because I certainly want to be apologetic to her and I want to make sure I don't do it. Um, So I think that's something too, you know, your kid. And so it can be something like not bathing or excessive grooming. It could be if they're a little bit older, they're starting to make newer friends, different types of friends than what they used to. Um, They might even act out with vices. You know, some kids might engage in the use of tobacco or alcohol or even sex, you know, things like that, uh, which, you know, they're not typically doing. Um, And these aren't things that are so horrible, per se, in the world. A lot of kids experiment with a lot of things at certain points in their lives for a variety of reasons. But, you know, it's one of those things, again, that we don't want to see them go down that road. We want to see them be able to express it. So they might become isolated. They might act out and be aggressive. Every kid's so different. So it really depends on what are they like before this and how are they now and look for that gap in between that really starts to emerge. They might be less verbal or more verbal. Um, They might start hitting if they're younger. And that is not something I always tell parents, you don't have to yell at the kid when they're doing that. You just need to give them maybe a safer place 
of expressing their energy. You know, mommy understands that you're really frustrated right now and things are changing and you don't understand, but we can't hit our brother, but we can go ahead and, and exert our energy in a different way. So those are things we can do. Now, is there an age that um, where the divorce process is most hard on a child? You know, it, we used to think so. This is a great question because research has recently evolved to show us that it impacts people everywhere. Even children who are interviewed who are now grown adults, that divorce of their parent was so huge for them emotionally. Like they just couldn't handle it you know, and, and broke down because the, their parents' relationship broke up, even though they're in their 30s. So it really isn't about the age. It's about the sensitivity of the child and the resiliency of the child. So we tend to say that those that are really, really young, um, let's say before they're verbal, are not necessarily so safe. A lot of people say, well, they don't even know what's happening and they're going to be fine. But they're going to still be sentient, meaning uh, emotional experiencing. And so if you're nursing, I actually had a client who didn't understand why her little baby was acting out. I said, well, you're nursing and you're holding stress hormones inside of your body. Those are transferred in your energy when you're doing chest-to-chest connection with your child during breastfeeding and you don't even realize it. And so, you know, every age can be impacted um, equally at, uh, you know, at such a high level emotionally that it's not age as a protector. It's more about the grit of the kid. Some kids are just gritty, right? And you could, they get knocked down, they get hurt, but they get back up. They're probably going to be the ones who are still going to be more resilient in even these types of processes because it's just intrinsically driven for them. It doesn't mean that they won't still have moments, but they're more likely um, to be able to be successful transitioning. So it has a lot to do with the grit, the resiliency level, um, the ability of the child to communicate and to be heard. Those are the huge success pieces that kids who get through this healthfully, those are usually the ones that they, they share that they had. I would think too, another factor would also be um, the, the, the parents themselves and the level of conflict. Um, oh, you know, amen. Yes. Yeah. If there's very high conflict and, you know, of course, all this bad mouthing of each other and whatnot, I, obviously that's going to have more of an impact on how well the children handle the divorce than if it's, you know, if they're able to be more amicable or at least behave, you know, appropriately towards their children despite their differences. Yeah, absolutely. And I know right now at the time of this interview, we are all in a a global pandemic right now. And we're even being asked to remember how we're talking, how we're acting, our children are watching. And, you know, if the children are seeing you fighting over toilet paper and bread in a store, (laughs) you know, that sends a message. Oh, I should be afraid. Oh, I should be scared. Right. Yeah. Or people are just idiots. You know, luckily, when they get older, they can realize that. But the other point is, but why are people acting like that? And they don't have that frontal lobe to protect them yet. So that yes, the more conflict that is present, um, particularly if it's verbal, you know, and physical or both, I mean, again, are so equally damaging and people just need to be aware. I always just say it's time to act like the absolute parental unit that you knew and wanted to be for that child when they were born and all that you promised to them when they came out and you started thinking about their life ahead of them. None of that should change even in the divorce process. Do you have any advice for someone who has a child, like say a tween or even a teen who 
is just shutting down. Like they, they don't want to speak to a counselor. They don't, they're holding everything in They're They're, they're clearly behaving in a way that isn't their normal behavior, but they're refusing to talk and, and, you know, communicate about what's going on with them. How should a parent deal with a child like that? Usually the first thing is we just haven't found the right person that really will open up that channel of communication. So keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. It could be a teacher. Really think about who their favorite teachers are, their coaches. I mean, we don't have to tell all the nitty gritty to the teacher and the coach. I just remember sitting down with my son's teacher because he loves her. I mean, she was somebody he worshipped for whatever, and she was fantastic, I have to say. But, you know, for some reason, I remember just sitting down saying, you know, things are shifting right now. We're getting to the end of the process. Um, I'm probably, if you notice anything, you know, feel free to let me know. And she just went in and started, you know, giving him a little more attention, asking him certain things in the day of how he was feeling, and he was communicating with her. So sometimes you just have to reach out to places that maybe you feel a little embarrassed to, but usually as a teen, they might have a coach or some type of advisor or a club or something that they're doing, but they have a really beautiful connection with that human. And so I would use that. That's going to really help open up the channel. Because again, the reason they don't communicate with their parents is not because they don't love us. It's because they don't want to be in the middle. They want to stay neutral and they have every right to do so. And so if they can go with a neutral party, and they don't feel that pressure, they're probably going to open up. The other thing is if they still, if you don't have that, ask the question, how can I help you? I notice that you are, are distressed and rightfully so. Is there something that I'm missing? Something that you need from me? If they can't verbalize it, I had my daughter text me. My son write me notes. Just go ahead. If you can't find the words, text me later on and write it to me. Okay. My son would slip little notes under my door, <laughs> you know, when I was in a meeting or something, mommy, I'm really angry right now. And here's what I'm feeling. And, you know, those are really beautiful ways. Journals, give your child a journal. And I said to my daughter, I said, she's a sketch, uh, an artist. So she actually had a sketchbook. I said, you're not going to be able to share everything with me in this process, nor do I expect you to. I respect how you want to handle this, but I gave her a sketchbook and a journal. And I said, use it as you want. It's yours. I will never look at it. If you want to share it with me, I'm here. And she would share things with me. And so there's, there's those types of outlets. The other thing too is allow them to have peer support, you know, without you always needing to know what's happening in every single conversation out there because we get paranoid don't we when we're going through the process yeah and that doesn't help them so trust when they come home from the ex you know you don't have to know what happened you don't have to know if their new girlfriend is there you don't have to to cross-examine them (laughs) yeah exactly just say did you have a good time i'm really happy you had a good time and they they'll they'll be like oh i can i can communicate now because she's not trying to get the info you know yes. so it's 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 multidimensional but it is about tapping all of those resources and just staying connected emotionally and so they want to be able to trust you now you touched upon uh, an issue there when you mentioned uh, the the new girlfriend uh, which leads to my next uh, <laughs> right. question is um you know when when you go through the, the separation and divorce, is there a time period um, that a parent should wait before introducing their child to someone new? And what advice do you have on handling that whole situation? 
This one's a tough one, right? Because again, you know, this is where we tap into the essence of love and relationships and things like that. And not everyone moves into a relationship or um, gets into love or out of love in the same exact way. So this one's going to be greatly, greatly different for everybody. But many times some of these relationships started and are what were the result of the divorce. So they're already ongoing. And if that's the case, if you're already in a relationship, I would say, you know, as a, as a mental health expert, that children can get really confused if that person all of a sudden disappears, you know, and they'll start to feel really unsafe. Okay, well, mommy and daddy broke up and now daddy broke up with her. Like, is he going to leave us? I mean, you'd be surprised. I get people who, who yell at me when I tell them that. That's ridiculous, Dr. Renee. I said, is it so? You know, because yeah. we know that children do feel unsafe in those moments. And so I would say, you know, wait until your relationship is really established. You know what that means as an adult. You, you, you're getting the sense that you could spend the rest of your life with them. Um, you're feeling secure and you, you also feel that they're a safe person to be around my children at this time. You know, are they going to compromise their well-being and their transition? Or are they going to be a nice source of support for them? I mean, some people move into beautiful relationships, you know, with, with new yes. partners. And that partner ends up being a really great source for those kids. But so it, it really varies. But I would say also, you don't want your ex feeling that as well. You know, try to be discreet with your new relationship for the sake of that person's health and well-being as well. You once loved them. So you need to still care about them evolving out of this just as much as maybe you already have. And then the resentment gets reduced. So I, my rule of thumb is, and you know, four or five months into a relationship is usually a sign where you kind of know whether you can do this or not with a person. You might want to start introducing them here or there, but you know, six months to a year is probably a good place to, if you're going to bring them around regularly. Um, but you can legally, I know here in the U.S. we can, we can actually write that into our divorce decree or a disillusion that we don't want our partner, our soon-to-be ex, to be um, able to have any of their intimate partners in the house for up to about six months or a year. So, yes, we can I mean, write that into agreements here as well. Yeah. You have to use your discretion on that because are they using it to punish you? You know, there's a lot of negative things. But I usually say rule of thumb about six to 12 months um, that you start to bring them around regularly at that point. Not that you can't before, but use your discretion. Should a child be able to have a say in a, a parent's dating life? You know, you get situations where, you know, a child might say, you know, mom, I don't want you to date anyone. Or perhaps you do have a relationship that's been going on for a while and you introduce your children to that person and your children don't like them. And there doesn't seem to be a, like a, a, a fair reason why they don't like them. How do you recommend, um, you know, parents cope with those types of situations? Should the child's wishes be totally respected or, you know, should a child not be able to dictate their parents' dating life? That's a great question. And I would say remind people again that children are children. And when we think about them, you know, we love them and we often ask their advice about things we should wear or, you know, where we should go on vacation and those kinds of things. But again, just as we shouldn't make decisions about their love relationships that will soon evolve as they grow, they really shouldn't be 
compromising their own stability, trying to navigate our relationships. And so it, it's important that we say, I hear you. I'm so grateful that you feel that way. Can you tell me why you feel that way? And they share it with you. And you say, I understand your fears and worries, but trust mommy. Mommy knows what she's doing. And I know you might be more worried about my well-being, but I, I'm so grateful that you shared that with me. But that doesn't mean that you, you heed their warnings necessarily, because again, they're still children. But that all the children are also very sensitive to some of the really negative aspects of personality that we tend to become um, a little bit less filtered to. So children pick up on the narcissist way before we do. Uh, children pick up on the uh, you know sociopaths and the abusers when we don't because we're all in that love bombing phase in the new relationship. So <laughs> I say listen, but you don't let them get a boat in your life or relationships per se. But listen to it and think you know are they telling me something that maybe I'm missing or are they acting out because they're just sad that I'm not with their dad you know, or I'm not with their mom. And you have to discern the difference. And it's interesting because um, like my own parents uh, were separated and my father for much of my youth uh, had a girlfriend who lived with him who clearly did not like my brother and I and made that very known. And um, I always felt that my parents' divorce didn't impact me so much. Well, separation, they actually never divorced. I, I always felt that the separation never actually was what impacted me. But having my father be in this long relationship with this woman who clearly didn't like me for no apparent reason, I felt really undermined my self-worth um, when I was growing up. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in my own life as a, as a divorced parent, I think I've probably gone to the opposite extreme where I'm so cautious about who I introduce my children to. And I would never tolerate being with someone who mistreated my children in any fashion, sure. um, or perhaps even who my children didn't like just because of my own experience as a child in that situation. Um, so, I mean, would you agree that like children shouldn't dictate, but parents do need to be mindful of, you know, if their partner isn't treating their children very well, that can have a very significant impact on their children. Oh, absolutely. And I think those are two very different things. You know, again, sometimes kids just don't like someone because they're not mommy or daddy. And right. they're lovely human beings. And so that doesn't mean you should cast them out as potential relationship mates just because the child's acting out. They probably would hate anybody who came into that position. Yeah. And so that's something, right, that we certainly have to remind them of being of their safety and connect with them and maybe just allow that partner to, to not come around them so much right now until that child is feeling better. And you might see that shift, right? You'll definitely sh see that shift. And that was the situation with me. Um, the other thing is what you're talking about is yes, anybody who is abusive or negative towards your children, that's a huge red sign right away that if they're like that in the beginning, how would they possibly shift or transition later? Most people even narcissists are charming up front. So if you've got something negative up front, that's a really huge red flag to, you know, really move away from that person really quickly. Because, you know, unless they were, you know, another thing might be that they don't act the way you think they should act with your children, meaning, you know, they're kind of shy or they're not really seeming like they want to be very connected to my kids right away. That actually is a very good thing. They're keeping boundaries and safety between them and the children. That might not necessarily be a, a red flag. It's just a yellow caution to say, um, 
will they warm up or won't they warm up? And many people respect that they're not their dad or their mom. They don't come jumping in and pretending to be something that they're not right away. Yeah. And so those people often get excluded and pushed out of relationships when they're actually really beautiful human beings, just respecting boundaries. So it's complicated, right? It's really complicated. Yeah. And we have to just use our best judgment. Does divorce necessarily have to have a, a negative impact or a, you know, a scar a child for life or you know, is it possible to to have it um, have a positive impact on a child? You know, it, it's it's again one of those things that should just be the process of evolution in a way. It's something that happens globally within every culture, even in arranged, you know, marriage cultures, divorce still happens. It might just be more discreet and there's less data collected on it, but it happens. And the more that we recognize that love and life and everything is a cycle, nothing is permanent as much as we would love for this partner to be ours for the rest of our lives, they just might not be. And so when children can grow up with more of a healthy interpretation, while people might leave me somewhere along the way in my life, it doesn't mean that I am not worthy or I'm not valuable or I'm not loving. It just was its time. And so the healthier that the married couple, right, soon to be divorced, can actually handle this, you're setting up the future expectation and understanding of what love and relationships are to your children. And so they don't, the, divorce doesn't have to be a tumultuous thing. It doesn't. And, you know, my ex and I ended up actually um, in a disillusion versus a divorce after we realized we needed to let down all the walls and the barriers. And there was nothing that either of us were going to do to hurt each other. And we trusted each other through the rest of the process, you know, um, and it became really easy and amicable and it was going to get dirty at first, but we realized, we said, this is for them. This is yeah. for them, not for us. This is for them. Well, so, and that's the thing too. I've seen situations with clients where it starts off very dirty and then they come to their, I don't want to say senses, but they come to the realization that, you know, this is not helping anybody and they're, they're able to have it go more amicably and be less harmful for the children. So for yes. those of people who are out there who are in a very toxic divorce, it is possible to turn it around. Amen. It's never too late. And that sends a really beautiful signal to the kids that mom and dad try, or mom and mom and dad and dad finally figured it out, you know, finally yeah. stepped up to being humans and, you know, got it together. And I think there's no greater lesson to our kids than people who figure out how to resolve conflict healthfully. You know, it's not good to, to not ever not engage in conflict because you're, again, you're sheltering your children from something that has to happen to them eventually. So the more they see you handling conflict healthfully and in an amicable way, they realize and acquire skills for themselves in the workplace and in life. Exactly. Now, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Dr. Renee. I, you've been a wealth of information, and I really appreciate you taking time uh, to uh, share that knowledge with my listeners. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And thank you to the listeners out there. I really appreciate uh, you tuning in. Subscribe to my podcast and uh, have a great day. This is Leanne Townsend, Divorcing Well. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, 
you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca. 